0: Officers have the power over citizens of a life and death, a power shared only by the state. Only the state can put you to death or a policeman with a gun. But then it was the police who said, what are you going to do next? I choked out more people than any other officer on the Portland Police Bureau. It was my go-to move.
1: I mean, at the end of the day, when. When you when you have the problem, you cannot solve it
0: by yourself. You going get a us, and we'll be there for service and we'll do our best to, to help you solve that problem.
1: It is June 1906. And Tom Kay is in the Imperial Hotel. And he's not even looking for a blowjob. This is some kick-ass Oregon history.
0: The police have to be society's mommy because society is so freaking stupid. That a group of cayuse men and leaders got together and made the decision that it was time for, to dispatch Dr. Robin. When it all fails, call the cops.
1: Simply going in and arresting people and then leaving is not good enough. Somebody has to step in, and it has to be the police.
0: Um, I'm not sure that it was as much racially motivated as that we just had dead possums and we hated the burger bar. Just to let you know that as a police officer, that I love you and I care about you.
1: What is the government's role in policing morality? Should the government... Let's say for the sake of our discussion, the executive branch of government set policy for vice and morality. And if the policy is then established, should the executive then be tasked with enforcement? Not quite right, but about there. We can use an illustration in past policings in Oregon to consider such questions. Dr. Harry Lane was elected mayor of Portland in June of 1905, the first Eastsider to hold that position. Lane had previous government experience when he had been appointed superintendent of the State Insane Asylum in 1887, and in 1903 to the State Board of Health. His mayoral election was close, just 1,200 votes pushed him over the top, but it led to his reelection in 1907 making Lane Portland's first two-term Democratic mayor. Now, the time of our tale was an era of massive change for little Portland, Oregon. In 1900, Portland's population was a little over 90,000. In just 10 years, that number would more than double to 209,000. Much of the success was attributed to the Lewis and Clark Centennial Fair, a civic and business exposition designed to showcase the City of Roses and bring a shit-ton of economic development. Oh, and a shit-ton of transplants, too. Progressivism was sweeping the nation, which was a political response to social problems that an industrializing United States was facing. Social problems and a kind of moral degradation were deemed as curable, by the progressives, through safe workplaces, better education, and social reform. Social hygiene, as the progressives called it. Progressives saw drinking, homosexuality, and whoring around as bad things, public health issues, as Mayor Lane saw them, and government could be a tool to control and punish those who sought out or supplied these vices. As Lola Baldwin remarked at the time, just before she became Oregon's first female police officer, We do not expect to eradicate the social evil in Portland, but we do expect to improve it. Policing was just one tool in the progressive portfolio. And who would Mayor Lane task with hygienifying the purity of progressive Portland? Why, none other than... Tom motherfucking Kay. You might remember Portland police detective Tom K from our Chinatown series way back from July of 2011. As a member of the Bureau's moral squad, Kay thrived under Mayor Lane's tenure. and the press adored him. They dubbed him the indefatigable Tom K, terror of all wrongdoers, or the terror of the morally lax. K's specialty was the purification of public morals, and Tom K was not fucking around. Mayor Lane was determined to shake up the saloon owner's interests and influence on the Portland City Council and the Portland Police Bureau. Mayor Lane was so pissed at the Bureau's lack of enforcement that in 1906 he demanded that the entire detective force be fired. Graft and payoffs had become endemic. But Tom Kay didn't appear to be in the pockets of the Portland Saloon and Liquor Interests. Kay's line of work was described as raiding lodging houses and cleaning up saloons and keeping various resorts in as good order as possible. His professional labors often found him in the North End, and it was almost always involving crime of the most sordid sort. After Kay arrested one couple, the paper noted that Mere mention of Kay's name in connection with the case is sufficient to explain and make known the nature of the charge against Starface and Mrs. Xander. Described as being the right-hand man of the reform element, Tom Kay was placed in our midst to save the city's virtue from seedy, seamy, sinful Portland. Mm -hmm. air-assing around Portland, arresting naughty people, busting up a St. Patrick's Day poker game on 7th and Oak, making sure the lights didn't stay off too long at Merrill's dance hall during the dances there, bursting into guest rooms at the fancy-ass Imperial Hotel looking for illegal card games. Detective Kay even arrested the legend of the North End himself, August Erickson. In the summer of 1906, Kay and Captain Bruin had been searching for a suspect and stopped by Gus's wee watering hole on the north side of Burnside Street to see what they could see. They didn't find their quarry, but they did spy two teenage boys buying liquor. A bartender and August himself were both arrested and brought down to the police station where they posted their $25 bail. Himself said, At the present time, I'm engaged in some special work, trying to clean up the city of Portland, if I can. I have no personal spite against anyone. My instructions were to raid a place after they had been robbing men, and to make it cost them more than the profits from their robbery amounted to. It wasn't quite as clinical as Kay described it and his methods were, indeed, unsound. A Multnomah County grand jury found that the Moral Squad would enter any home or business that they wished, without cause, investigation, or warrants to enforce the mayor's interpretation of morality. Another charge was brought that Kay sent a minor into the peerless bordello on Alder Street to set up the proprietor and sex workers employed there, These autocratic moves concerned some citizens. Kay had political connections, or as the Daily said, The combined backing of the ministers of the city and their allied interests. And these connections were at odds with some on the Portland Police Bureau. Charges of insubordination were brought on Kay by Captain of Detectives Bruin, and Kay was not repentant in those charges. A whole lot of my work is along the lines of improving the moral tone of the city, and when I am working on a case of that kind, I don't report to Captain Bruin, because every time I have, he has spoiled the case. Captain Bruin is not in sympathy with the work I have been doing, and has hindered my progress whenever he could. Consequently, I came to the conclusion that when working on important cases, I would report to Chief Gritzmacher, who has always backed me up in the reform work I have been doing. Others charged that Kay wasn't reporting to Gritzmacher either, and was just straight up going rogue.
0: Sex, booze, and gambling were cash generators in old-timey Portland, and a significant portion of the city's budget came from taxing sin. Influential Portland property owners collected rent from these illy-begotten dollars. Saloons and bars, gambling halls, body houses, four breweries, and eleven distilleries all helped fuel the city's coffers, both on and off the books. All the vice and sin was good for our young city's economy, and the social elite profited from it. Since 1895, commercial prostitution had been allowed in a restricted district, which was in today's Old Town, which was then called the North End. In his history thesis, Reedy Christopher Head described this bawdy borough.
1: It was during the wide-open period between 1900 and 1904 that saloon culture reached its zenith in the North End. On hot summer nights, the inhabitants of poorly ventilated rooms in boarding houses would empty out onto the street looking for whatever diversion there was to be found. Bands with names like the Thirsty Seven would march through the streets, leading the gambling crowd to watering holes such as Ericsson's or Blaziers, and their gambling wheels, tables, prostitutes, and a beer. Along the way, the crib prostitutes would lean out their windows, shouting suggestive phrases and advertising themselves in ways that were sure to attract the customer's attention. Among the crowd would be street whores using the excuse of fondling a customer to lift his wallet. And Mayor Lane seemed to be kind of lukewarm about the arrangement as long as everyone kept their shit together and kept said shit together in the North End. As the mayor said, Body houses have existed in our city at all times in the past, and at all times in the past there have been laws against them, both state and municipal. Since I have been in office, I have made an effort to see that such places do not obtrude themselves, that robberies of strangers do not take place in them, and that collusion should not exist between them and city officials or its employees. By closing every house which broke over such regulations, the condition of affairs became about as good as they were anywhere else and could be expected to be here if they were to exist at all. Councilman and future Portland Mayor George Baker wanted official city licensing of brothels and red-light ladies to control and tax the sin in the North End. But not all of Lane's progressive constituents were down with the designated district. Some citizens appealed to Mayor Lane to close the wide-open section of Portland. Lane needed to take some action, and a special police force called the Angel Brigade was designed to shutter the Pompous Palaces of Sin of Portland's North End. The brigade was charged with Evicting the unfortunate women who have been offered in explanation of the sin of the modern Gomorrah, owners of the property, possessors of their wages, and male accomplices in their crimes, are to be spectators of the sacrificial proceedings. <laughs> To the petitions to get them away from the business centre, the mayor began his quest of publicly purifying the North End. Make no mistake about it, this was a police action that was to target women. Fallen and unfortunate women, as they were termed. Per the mayor's orders, the evicted women were to be expelled from the city or even face jail. The Oregonian noted that strangely enough Tom K whose previous record made him the legitimate heir to the command of the Angel Brigade was sidetracked and will have no part in directing raids or in carrying out the mayor's orders ticket, ticket,
0: ticket, to the blue.
1: Some felt that by K's omission It was obvious that Mayor Lane hadn't really intended to rid Vice from Portland, but to rather give a good show of it, the implication being that Kay would have actually cleaned this shit up. As one proprietor said, I don't know what we will do. I have no place to go. And I'm sure no proprietor would want me in his hotel. What the others will do, I don't know. Many of them have no money and couldn't leave town if they wanted to. Some of the evicted women went to smaller towns across Washington and Oregon to help expedite the process. Transportation expenses to any city in the United States were to be paid to the women, the unfortunates, as they were called. But many relocated to uptown Portland, into rooming houses and apartment houses of dubious character and even into a few respectable hotels. The sin and the vice and the sex work didn't go away. It just spread out across the city for all of progressive Portland to see. Instead of being contained in the North End, prostitutes began to walk the streets of the city and every home could now be next door to a, quote, pompous palace of sin, end quote but smaller, more like a chateau of shenanigans or a cabin of carnality or an old-fashioned love shack. Pimps began to appear on the scene. Mayor Lane called his policing a success. The rest of Portland was not so sure. A few months later, in March of 1909, Tom Kay resigned from the Portland Police Bureau to reside in his abundant prune orchard outside of the couve, dude. It didn't seem like his morality raids would be sorely missed, however. One reporter noted that Kay had been criticized for the manner in which he executed his moral crusade for the administration. The Oregonian broadcast something like an epitaph when they wrote, Night Raider Tom K will retire to a prune ranch near Vancouver. When he visits Night Raider Tom K will retire to a prune ranch near Vancouver. When he visits Portland, he should be careful to go home at night. Crime historian J.D. Chandler.
0: 3 years later, K was back on the Portland police force. Starting over as a sergeant, Kay didn't last long on his second go-around with the PPB. About six months into his employ, he alleged that many of his superiors, including members of the police committee of the executive board, were obstructing police efforts against Portland's immoral houses and other disorderly places. His bosses were not so cool with Kay's claims, it would seem. Kay was discharged from the Bureau.
1: Crime historian J.D. Chandler.
0: The real question is, is it right for the executive to decide what's moral and what's not? The executive, I don't think, is really the one to decide, but they are the one to enforce. Uh, The community does have the right to decide what's moral and what's not moral, but I think trying to enforce it goes beyond what it can do, beyond what it should do. Uh, That's not what government's for as far as I'm concerned. But Kay was hardly finished with policing morality. On October 11, 1912, Tom K. took an oath as special agent for the state of Oregon, also known as Oswald West's bitch. Tune in next time, dear ass kicker, and we'll discuss how well that went.
1: Kick-Ass Oregon History Season 10 is a production of ORHistory.com. It is written, recorded, edited, and produced by Doug Kang Crispin and Andy Lindberg. Citations are available by request. We hope that you agree that today's episode contains some Kick-Ass Oregon history. If you like what you hear, you should give us money to make more. Visit ORHistory.com to learn how you can give us money once or over and over again. Follow us on the Internet, Twitter at Oregon underscore History. Look for us on Facebook and Instagram too, at kickass Oregon History. As always, visit us on the web at ORHistory.com or send an email directly to historian Doug Kent Crispin oregonhistorian at gmail.com just don't get too close to mr kank crispin among the crowd would-be street whores using the excuse of fondling a customer to lift his wallet you stay historic oregon and kick ass ORHistory.com